Here is the fourth and final part of show number 85 of the Anime World Order podcast. Anyway, you probably know the drill by now if you're listening to part four of the show. Stands to reason you probably did listen to parts one through three. But if you did not, remember the website is www.animeworldorder.com. There you'll find direct download links for this episode and all our previous episodes. You can also leave comments on the site. Looks like it's working out pretty well with the new comment system. Email address is still animeworldorder at gmail.com, and the voicemail is still 206-666-4296. Next episode, before we actually release an episode proper, we're probably going to finally do that bonus decade in review thing. You know, it's only the end of February now. We may as well be two months after the fact compared to everybody else who did one. So look forward to that. Anyway, here is the much-awaited review by Clarissa of The Art of Osamu Tezuka, God of Manga by Helen McCarthy. And moving on, now we get to a review of something a little different than what we normally do. Mostly we talk directly about anime and manga on this show. We have occasionally talked about books that reference anime and manga. We've done a couple of reviews or discussed Macadamia and some other books here and there, sometimes in the context of another review and sometimes in a review all its own. And that's what we're going to be doing today, reviewing the combination reference work and art book, The Art of Osamu Tezuka, God of Manga by Helen McCarthy. Now, this is somewhat terrifying, as it's the first time that I've ever reviewed something that I know the person who wrote it is actually going to listen to this show. But I promise you that that will not bias my review in any fashion. So it sucked, right? No, the book can stop a bullet. Yes. It is quite large. You could also probably bludgeon someone with it if they broke into your house. So it's not good toilet reading, you're saying? Probably not. It I depends mean, on it... how clean you are. I mean, as long as you like <laughs> maintain like your proper toilet reading protocol, and it's like, all right, once yeah. you get to phase ass wiping, no more page turning. <laughs> then, <laughs> Right, yeah, you might be all right then. Now, this is a fairly recent release. It came out late in 2009. It's interesting because it's one of a, a few books that have come out around that time dealing with Osamu Tezuka. Anime and manga are mostly still a, a niche market in the U.S., and Osamu Tezuka is one of the biggest figures in the history of manga and anime. So it's only natural that books are starting to come out about him, but we still don't have very many, especially not very many books devoted entirely to him. Often there'll be books that are about manga or animation in general that will devote small sections of it to Tezuka, but this is part of this first wave of books that are really entirely devoted to being about Osamu Tezuka, because really, between anime and manga being sort of a niche thing and the fact that the vast majority of manga and anime that have been released have been released in the last decade or so um, when the market really exploded. Before that, uh, there were a few things that had been released by Osamu Tezuka, and the really hardcore anime and manga fans knew who Osamu Tezuka was, but he's still only starting to be really more widely appreciated within not only the anime and manga community, but within the comics reading community. I would say more the comics reading community than yeah. even the manga community at this I point. I think they're the ones that really pushed Tezuka forward more than anyone else. The same so. thing with Naoki Urasawa yeah. as well. And, you know, there are reasons why that might be potentially the age difference between the the heavy comics reading population and most of the manga and anime fan population 
or just sort of differences in how those groups of people approach comics and animation. But yes, I mean, people were kind of familiar with Tezuka. There were a few things that had come out. Um, Astro Boy had been released a long time ago. Similarly, uh, Kimba had been released quite some time ago. So some of the older guard of uh, anime and manga fans and even, you know, regular folks had seen those uh, cartoons. And that was the primary way that people knew about Osamu Tezuka. A couple of other things had come out. Viz had released Adolf, but that kind of went out of print and is still somewhat difficult to come by. They released a couple of volumes of Blackjack, and then a few other things had come out, I yeah, think. Yeah, like I was saying, um, we actually lost the first few minutes of the recording, so I'm trying to remember what it was I said. But I, um, <laughs> right. I noted that Dark Horse also had released you know, Astro Boy, as well as some of Tezuka's earlier works, mm-hmm. uh, Lost World, Next World. And Metropolis. These are our renamed things. You know, they couldn't, um, I believe they couldn't actually use the original title because of the Yule Brenner movie. <laughs> but, but even most of those are somewhat recent releases, right? Certainly within 10 years. They're within the last 10 years, yes. But they right. also, despite yeah. the fact that they existed, they didn't really bring Tezka up to like the level of exposure mm. until I would say about two years ago, maybe three years ago that, you know, the name Osamu Tezuka. When vertical. Yeah, re- really started to take off was around when Vertical started releasing his stuff. Buddha, especially the big, you know, hardcover, really nice editions of Buddha uh, that really caught a lot of eyes within sort of the comics as art crowd and the indie comics crowd. And so th- really some of them helped push that title and get more recognition with it. And that, you know, the continuing legacy of that may also be why Tezuka has more appreciation even still within that sort of crowd as opposed to the general anime and manga audience. So, you know, Osama Tezuka is this absolutely gigantic figure in anime and manga. We've discussed him before. As we already mentioned, he's the creator of Astro Boy, one of the most well-known characters ever created in Japan and even throughout a large part of the world. It's almost difficult to overestimate the influence that Tezuka had on everything else that came after him. A lot of people tried to imitate Tezuka, but even more, Tezuka also had an influence on people who decided you know what, Tezuka is boring, and I want to be the complete opposite of Osamu Tezuka. I just want to be different from him and do stuff that he wouldn't do. But even those people were influenced by him. They might not have done what they did without Tezuka existing and sort of inspiring them to compete with that and to do something else. You know, we've talked about Gekiga a decent amount on this podcast, and a large portion of the founding of Gekiga was artists who kind of wanted to do things differently than Osamu Tezuka was doing and prove that, you know, manga wasn't just about all of these, you know, cute, cartoony kid stories. Exactly. And I I think another comment I made earlier was just pointing out the fact that on some level, people who listen to this podcast, even the average person who goes to a convention or, you know, what we'll call a midway between casual and super hardcore sort of fan, like the Mm -hmm. majority of the internet anime manga populace, as it were, are aware of Osamu Tezuka. They just probably don't read Osamu Tezuka because they sort of view him whenever the name comes up. It's always sort of brought up in this sort of academic sense and the sort of this guy was influential. This guy was important. Much the same way, like Mm -hmm. I said, uh, a ninth grader would think of William Shakespeare, all these teachers Mm -hmm. and stuff saying this guy was important. And their response would be something like, yeah, I get to teach, but, you know, I don't really like reading his stuff. You don't really. It's old. You don't really hear the name Tezuka brought up as an example of like, this is a fun thing to read on its own. It's always something like, hey, 
this is right. influential or this is uh, culturally important or this is uh, a great manga expanding project. And some, some people are thinking mm-hmm. th- in terms of, okay, well, I just want to read something and have fun. And Tezuka is not my first choice for that. Sure. And I think this book actually does a lot of groundbreaking, at least as far as trying to at least get the message out that Tezuka mm-hmm. made all sorts of things. Of course, the only people who will buy yeah. it are the crazy people like you and me, but at least the message exists uh, in, <laughs> in an official capacity beyond just a crazy internet comment left by me. Right. And we'll get into that in a little more detail as I talk about the the contents of this book. But part of the reason that I think we haven't seen that many books about Osamu Tezuka coming out, even though he's so important, is that not only has the major development in anime and manga and the big explosion in it happened in large part during the last decade or so, but that a lot more of his works are being published now where they weren't that available before. And so, you know, people knew Osamu Tezuka existed, but they kind of knew it's like, oh yeah, that guy who created Astro Boy and Kimba. And so they didn't really understand the scope of what he did because it's hard to get the importance of a figure like that if you really can't see that much of what they produced. I mean, you mentioned William Shakespeare. Well, imagine that if maybe you your native language was a language that had only one or two Shakespeare works translated into And the into work it. was something like just Romeo and Juliet. Right, and you know... Which I don't even like all that much, but it's very well known as a Shakespeare work. Right, I'm not that huge a fan of it myself. And you didn't know enough English to really go and read the other Shakespeare works. It's hard to really understand what is it that makes this guy William Shakespeare so important when you can't really see all of this stuff that he did. And so that was kind of the problem with Tezuka is, is, you know, it's hard to understand how he was so influential when all you've really seen is Astro Boy and Kimba. And a lot of people hadn't even really seen Adolf or that beginning release of Blackjack that came out. But now that these other works are starting to get released, people are actually able to see some of the range of what Tezuka did and look at the years that they originally came out and match that up against other things and put together this chronology. But even still, Tezuka created so much work that only a tiny percentage of it has been released here. So it might seem a little odd in some cases, and for people who are already really, really familiar with Osamu Tezuka and know a lot about him, that this is a general kind of overview book about Osamu Tezuka and his life and his career. And that might seem a little simplistic, but I really think that's not something that we really have in English very much. So this book, I think, serves a definite purpose. And since this is not just a reference book, but an art book, it's meant to be sort of a display piece. I'd like to do something else a little different than what we normally do and talk about the actual physical book itself, because it's obviously a release that a lot of attention and thought was put into making it something that you would want to display in your home, that you would want to have as like a coffee table book. So it's a fairly large book. It's decently hefty. Yeah, it's coated in plastic like your grandmother's furniture. (laughs) <laughs> but there's a reason there's a utilitarian reason for that. Right. It's also uh fairly bright red with um bold white letters for the title and the author information and a large picture of Astro Boy right on the cover. Now, you mentioned the plastic cover and that's actually kind of interesting. There definitely is a reason for it. 
It's not just a book. It actually comes packaged with a DVD. Osamu Tezuka, The Secret of Creation. It's a really awesome addition to the book. This DVD is a subtitled version of a documentary that was produced in Japan before Osamu Tezuka died, which was in 1989, I believe. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the only times that Osamu Tezuka ever let people into his studio where he worked Usually he was secluded while he worked, and people weren't really allowed in to see how he went about his process. I hear Shotaro Ishinomori was the same way. Like, he'd just sort of mm. lock himself in a room and draw things and then slide the finished pages under the door for his editor to pick up or something like that. <laughs> so maybe that's some sort of, you know, recurring thing, because, you know, Ishinomori was a uh, Tezuka's contemporary as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of artists who are like, you don't know, no, you can't see the magic working. It's like going behind the stage curtain and seeing the magician putting the doves in his jacket. Right. It would spoil everything. But in this case, for whatever reason, Tezuka decided to let some folks in with cameras to film him working and to also film him kind of going about a day in his life to see how sort of crazy and hectic it was. So it's it's pretty awesome. This is the first time that this has ever been released with English subtitles. And if you're at all interested in Tezuka or if you're interested in sort of how artists work, I think it's a really good addition. Definitely worth checking out. And it's mounted in this um, cutout circle in the back of the book. And so it's protected on the outside by the plastic sleeve. And in the inside, there's a, like a little plastic uh, shell where the DVD uh, mounts onto and that's stuck into the other side of the, the hole in the back. Now, the, the plastic cover, even though it has that reason to it, and it may very well help the book uh, stand up for a little longer by keeping away some of the cover damage. I'm not sure, Daryl, if you had the same issue, so I'm not sure if it's maybe the humidity in Florida. That it's sort of is adhering to the, you know, front. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of adhering to the, the cover underneath and where the, the cutout... Because the, the Astro Boy picture on the front of the book is actually uh, raised slightly from the rest of the cover, and where it is... The plastic is kind of adhering to it, and it, it gets kind of a mottled pattern under many different angles under the light. And I also find that the plastic cover sort of picks up markings fairly easily, which don't always come off as easily. So it was probably not a bad idea to put it on there, but it is a little mixed. And yeah, I'm not sure if it's the humidity or not. I, d I don't know exactly what's causing it. I don't recall it being mentioned too much in a couple of the other comments I saw about the book. Yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed that, though. It's not just your copy. Okay. The pages in it are fairly what looks like high-quality, glossy paper, which is nice. Some of the pages, they alternate different colors on the backgrounds of the pages, and some of the pages have a black background with white text, and I find that the black pages uh, pick up oil from your fingers somewhat easily, so they can get a little smudged. But it's still a, a very, very nice-looking book, has lots of really large, high-quality reproductions of Tezuka's work, as well as photos. Now, as I mentioned, this is kind of an overview book. If you're looking for a really super in-depth kind of academic analysis of Osamu Tezuka, this probably isn't the book that you're looking for. It certainly does kind of tie a lot of things together about Tezuka's life and his work, but its primary purpose is more of an introduction and more of an overview than a really um, incredibly in-depth analysis. And yet there's still a lot of information in here that has probably never before been printed in English, either sure. on the web or in print. 
I mean, he, Helen McCarthy found a lot of really interesting things as far as Tesk mm-hmm. information. I think there was one thing, like, we've talked about on this podcast in the past, how Tesco likes to use what's known as the star system, by which he yes. reuses certain character designs. Right, he was very heavily influenced by the theater, right. especially the Takarazuka Theater, which I think we've discussed before, but basically it's an all-female uh, set of theater troops, so all the male roles are played by women, as well as all the female right. roles. Right, we've talked about that briefly. Well, in this book, she's actually got pages dedicated to like a full cast listing of like here are all the characters by name and here's the fictitious amount of money that each of them charge to be in (laughs) the work and and who it's not actually all of them but it is a a decent number and it's a very interesting page to see yeah he has them all broken up and he has a what a theatrical troupe or company they're affiliated with and yes they're a fictional uh appearance right none of which is publicly stated at any point in any Tezuka comic. This is kind of just like internally... His own personal notes, yeah. Precisely. And and so just for that alone, that's like really fascinating, but it's part of just a a greater overall thing about his star system because Mm -hmm. Helen actually goes through and details who each of the people are Along with what their picture yeah. is and a lot of things like, you know, okay, this character is usually playing a character like this or, you mm-hmm. know, they first appeared around so-and-so time. I mean, I know a few of them, but this is pretty much yeah. like it, it's a much larger cast than I even I thought of that reoccur. Right. I mean, this this book is not a completely exhaustive encyclopedia. I saw a few comments that people were disappointed that it didn't have the the listing of every single Osamu Tezuka Star System character, and it didn't necessarily have the complete listing of every single work that Tezuka did. Instead, it tends to focus on uh, different periods in Tezuka's life and the most important works that he did. And then it focuses on a lot of the the major recurring star system characters, the ones that appeared in the most titles or are the most uh, well-known and beloved by fans. So it's not completely exhaustive, but like you said, it does have a lot of information that's useful and interesting, and it does have a decent amount of information that is not really widely available in English if it was available at all before this book came out. So I don't want to downplay the value of what's in here, make it sound like it's it's not useful. It is, but it's it's definitely not. If what you're looking for is a completely exhaustive encyclopedia with listings of every single thing, that's not quite what you're going to get. But out here's of this. the reason why that is there's stuff that tezuka made that nobody knows about yet there's still things right lots of things that he made that just no one even knows that it exists like the only way some of these things were found even was like um you know during the war you know helen was talking about this at her awa panel yes and she mentions it in the book yeah it, it is it is mentioned in the book but you know the censorship bureau everything had to be reviewed by the gut by the united states actually and, um, right, right. you know, determined what was appropriate. They wanted to make sure nobody was printing negative things about Americans and nobody was printing like pro-war or imperialist content. And so everything that came out, the, the censorship bureau would have a copy of it, like an unaltered copy. Mm-hmm. And so even though a lot of these things were thought to be lost, they still had them 
over there. And that's how a lot of this stuff ended up getting found. I mean, Helen talks about how... Yeah, paradoxically, censorship actually did at least some good in that instance that they went and started looking through these archives that nobody had really fully cataloged before. And I don't think they were even intending to find undiscovered Tezuka works. But they sort of stumbled on these Tezuka comics that nobody knew um, even existed. Yeah, and then that's not even to say, I mean, you know, Tezuka did all kinds of stuff. Apparently, he, he liked to write essays a lot. He wrote, like, all kinds oh, of yeah. stuff he painted. And that wasn't something mm-hmm. that I was really that aware of. Who's seen a, a painting by Tezuka? I have I not. You know, even on that documentary, which is an awesome documentary, as Clarissa said. Yes. I mean, they talk about, like, all these weird things that Tezuka, you know, would do. Like, there's this one footage of him, like, out in, like, a baseball diamond or something, like, during a game. And he just has, like, a giant, humongous paintbrush that's, like, bigger than him. And he just starts painting Astro Boy onto the field. And this is, this <laughs> yes. is crazy. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff he'd do. Because he, he like, mm-hmm. slept even less than Tyler Durden or something like that. Oh my god, watching that documentary is absolutely insane because he's just working constantly and when they're filming him, he has to like travel to different events. Like I think he even goes to France at one point for a, an animation event and um he's got several series that are ongoing at the same time and I think a couple of one-shots that are all due to his editors. And he's like drawing like crazy in his apartment and then occasionally going to check in with his uh, studio and the people there for their work. And then he has to go travel for these other things. And so he's in the car, in the backseat of the car with an editor next to him drawing while they're in the car on the way to the airport. I can't even write while I'm in a moving vehicle, let alone draw Draw pages, manga pages. Not even sketches, the full Mm. page. Right. And he's drawing, you know, literally until they pull up to the airport and like people are going into the airport and being like, okay, the flight is going to leave in like five minutes. I think we've got enough time for you to finish up this page and give it to us and then run to your airplane, which, you know, he does. And then it's like he goes to France and he is at this event networking with people and talking to everybody. And then he like goes up to his hotel room and it's like, well, you know, I have to draw 10 more pages. I'll draw like five and then I'll go back down to the party to talk talk to people and then I'll come back up and draw five more. It is absolutely insane. And and just so people know, I mean, maybe if you're not too familiar with what coffee table books are like, I don't even have a coffee table, but now I have this book. <laughs> I mean, the previous thing that I thought would be the closest thing to a coffee table book was um, this other book I got right next to the Tesca book, How to Goodbye Depression If You Constrict Anus 100 Times Every Day, <laughs> M- Malarkey or Effective Way by uh, the, guy, really a- the guy who, uh, you know, runs a two chan or whatever that's really a book that you just leave out there and have people discover but it's not a coffee table book it's more like just a a weird self-help um you know metaphysics book this is designed in such a way that you can just pick up the book turn to any random page and get Mm -hmm. like some sort of self-contained thing sure and see amazing artwork there were a couple of places in the book that i noticed some artwork that had been reused i think it was all astro boy art 
I'm not sure if maybe Astro Boy art was a little more expensive than some of this other stuff, but it's only a couple of times. The vast majority of the art in this book is unique from page to page. I think a lot of this artwork has never been printed before in English. Um, yeah, you've got a lot of your common Astro Boy and Kimba and Blackjack images stuff that's been seen before, but number one, there's a lot of photographs of Tezuka and his family, and one of the most interesting things to me is that I guess Tezuka and his family kept a lot of stuff from his childhood, and so there's a number of both small and large reproductions of amazing things like the first comic strips that Tezuka drew when he was in like elementary school. Which are still far, far better than anything I could draw today. I know, they're amazing! <laughs> like, I, I almost can't believe how young he was. But they even have those somewhere. Right. They also have some reproductions of something that is also shown in the documentary, so if you want to see it in a little more detail, Tezuka he really liked bugs, and so the, the character that he uses for his last name and his signature, instead of the actual character for his name is the character for uh, Mushi or Bug, and they have pages that he did when he was a kid where he would go out and he would put together these incredibly painstakingly detailed drawings and paintings of insects. These things almost look like photographs. They have so much detail in them, and they have some reproductions of things like that. So a lot of that stuff, I mean, has probably never been printed before in English, so that stuff is amazing to see. But there's also a lot of, you know, nice reproductions of pages from more recent comics and some some art that you may have seen if you buy some of the, the various art books that have been released in Japan. You know, as I mentioned, the, the book is really about both Osamu Tezuka himself as a person and his work. And it really does a good job of going over and establishing sort of who Osamu Tezuka was as a person and what his life was like. And then talking about his work and tying the two together, like showing, okay, you know, these were things that like happened in his childhood or interests that he developed. And this is how that influence showed up in his work. And some of the information was stuff that I knew already, and some of it was new to me. It talks about the fact that he had had some doctors in his family. Um, we've discussed before that Osama Tezuka actually uh, got a medical degree and was trained as a doctor. You know, in all his extra time. <laughs> before switching over to be a manga artist full-time. And so part of that came from this family history. And actually, he did a manga about one of his ancestors who had been a doctor who had helped to introduce Western medicine to Japan. And then it talks about the fact that Tezuka's parents were gigantic cinema buffs, that his family was constantly going to movies, that they had actually even bought uh, projectors for their home and would buy film reels when they could, which at the time was not common. I don't think it was ever common. <laughs> I mean, it's like Chris Sabeniak is like, oh, I got the film reels. Really? What? You know. Right. Well, I mean, now, you know, you just have like an entertainment system and then you get DVDs or VHSs. But at the time, yeah, even the movie theater was not very common, is my understanding. Right. So it talks about how they were just constantly watching movies and how Tezuka, even by the time he was fairly young, had seen more movies than a lot of people have probably seen in their entire lives. And that a lot of these experiences experiences, all of these movies that he saw and that he read a lot and his family read a lot, contributed to all of these ideas that he had and all of these things that he was constantly doing in his manga. And it talks a little bit about uh, how his parents, in addition to being really into movies, were also very much into the theater and how they went to theater performances all the time and the Takarazuka and how that ties into things like his star system. 
And then it sort of goes through different periods in Tezuka's life. The 1960s, the 1970s, the 1980s. And for each of these time periods, it talks about not necessarily everything that he did, but it talks about the most important works in manga and in animation that Tezuka did. With, you know, of course, artwork for each and descriptions of them and when they came out and all of that talks about some of the stuff that he left unfinished and it talks about Tezuka's influence on other people and the continuing popularity of Tezuka's work. I also think it's a fairly even-handed book. It's obvious that Helen McCarthy has a great deal of respect for Tezuka and that she's very fond of his works. But it's also not like it's completely sycophantic the way a lot of times you read right. like an article on Hayao Miyazaki and it's just like oh he's the greatest and he can do no bad and he's the <laughs> most awesomest dude of all time and right etc etc i mean it does talk about some of the works that are maybe a little more flawed because we don't have a lot of information about him and a lot of uh his other writings like his essays and such it's a little bit difficult to form a picture of osama tezuka as a person in addition to being the sort of legendary creative figure and while we'll need a more in-depth biography to come out to really complete that picture i think this is a good start because it does have a lot of information about his life, and it does talk about maybe some of the, the flaws that Tezuka had. It talks about things like Tezuka's competitiveness, that, uh, you know, anytime somebody else would come along in manga and become popular, or especially if they challenged or insulted Tezuka, the Tezuka would try to take popularity back. And uh, it talks a little bit about the formation of Gekiga, and how, you know, Osama Tezuka went into creating some of these darker works, things like Ode to Kirihito and Mew that Vertical have put out, partially because, you know, Gekiga was coming along and these other artists were getting attention, and Tezuka kind of wanted to prove, you know, you think I can't do this stuff, but I can do this just as well as you can, if not better. While at the same time, not, like, being out to, like, crush his competitors. He was all about fostering new talents and teaching people, because even, like, the people who made Gekiga, I mean, I read in, in Drifting Life, and obviously it's in this book, too, you know, Tatsumi would visit Tezuka, because, you know, they're, you know, Mm -hmm. He's a few years older, Tezuka, than Tatsumi. And, you know, yeah. just to get help. And Tezuka would gladly help him. Tezuka was all about telling people, hey, go check out Akira. Go check out this thing yeah. by this cool guy named Katsuhiro Otomo. And Otomo, obviously, is a huge name in manga. Maybe not so much anime anymore. But, uh, you know, certainly if Tezuka probably hadn't given him the rub, he might not have uh, hit it so big with uh, Akira. Yeah. And Otomo actually wrote the foreword to the book as well. He doesn't yes. say at any point, you know, see the shirt I drew drew this, so it's not really the greatest Katsuhiro <laughs> Otomo quote that's actually a fictional one made up by Jeff Deterrick, <laughs> but it's still something that a regular person mm -hmm. may not know about anime, but yeah. maybe they might know kind of what Akira is if they're old enough. Most right. people don't even remember that Akira even existed at this point, but you know, there are like a bunch of things of like the influence of Tezuka. I mean, it sort of addresses things like, you know, we've talked about Kimba a few times during this review, but mm -hmm. you know, there was that whole big thing in the 90s with the, the Lion King. Issue. Yeah. And that's kind of really the only way most anime fans are aware of the name Kimba is because, oh, it's <laughs> this thing that the Lion King stole from. Oh, have you seen Kimba? No. Right. Most younger fans, yeah. I mean, some of the older people had seen it when yeah, they were Yeah, when it was on TV, yeah. sure. But I mean, this book goes into, you know, all that stuff on some level. 
And so it doesn't really paint Tezuka in, I would say, a you know, bad sense or, you know, good sense as far as bias. Sure. But it's just like, just by reporting it just as it is, you can just kind of see like, okay, this dude is a superhuman genetic freak of nature mm-hmm. that can't, yeah. you know, probably ever be, you know, replicated. Right. And and one of the things it talks about in, I think, a little more detail than most of the other references is... um. Tezuka's impact not only on the content of anime and manga but on the business of anime and manga and and it actually talks about the fact that Tezuka really wasn't a very good business person and that he had you know made some mistakes if you would like to hear about this in detail you can listen to our previous review of Belladonna of Sadness (laughs) and you'll figure out firsthand of the kind of bad ideas that Osamu Tezuka would occasionally have but someone had to have the bad idea to realize once and for all this is a bad Bad idea. Didn't he say, like, manga was his wife, anime was his mistress, or that's, something that's like correct. that? That's correct, yes, mm-hmm. that's the line. But in things like, um, that Tezuka was the one who sort of created the process of limited animation, which, you know, some people to this day hate Tezuka Yeah, lately that. he's been getting a lot of crap for that, especially with all the talk about the low pay of animators in the yeah. anime mm-hmm. industry. Uh, a lot of times they've been dragging Tezuka's name through the mud as far as this. And a lot of people blame the re- the crazy schedules that manga artists work on on because Tezuka. Because that was the crazy schedule that he was capable of working on. Exactly. And, yeah. and that Tezuka started the process of using assistance. He wanted to do so much work that he couldn't do absolutely everything. So we would finally get a few other people to help him out and do this other stuff. And that, you know, now that's sort of become the de facto thing. And maybe that wasn't necessarily the best thing for the industry. Maybe it's not necessarily the best thing, thing for all the other people who followed in that industry after him. I think at least in the case of the limited animation, it was kind of the only way it would ever get done. It's not like he mm-hmm. sort of set out to be like, yeah, I can make anime and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to pay people nothing and force them to work like slaves. That's not really... It was done somewhat out of necessity and somewhat out of, you know, business competition. Right. That was but... basically like, all right, the only way I'm going to be able to make a new episode a week is if I have like, you know, the stock footage and if we have people kind of stand <laughs> still and, you know, three lip movement animations you know that kind of stuff that is now staples of anime everywhere right it really is a great a to z overview if you don't know who osama tezuka is if you don't really know that much about him this book will be phenomenal because there will be so much information in it that's new to you but even if you are familiar with tezuka and even if i think you know a decent bit about him and his work i think that there'll still be stuff in here that'll make it worthwhile for you to get the book i would say there's a lot in there yeah the documentary alone, I mean, there's stuff about Tezuka that I didn't know from reading before I read this. And I, I consider right. myself fairly knowledgeable on the guy. I mean, more than the mm-hmm. average anyway. But this, you yeah. know, still has a lot to offer. It's not like a fluff piece or anything like that. Oh, definitely not. I mean, there's a lot of little details. A lot of times, these kind of display books, they have a lot of fabulous artwork, but the information provided in them can be really shallow, or there's maybe not really anything that's that notable. Yeah, it's not like new time. But this yeah. one is really <laughs> worth reading cover to cover. I would definitely say to anybody who's interested in Tezuka or who likes Tezuka or who just is interested in the history of anime and manga because, I mean, it's kind of difficult to find people who had more influence on manga and anime than Osamu Tezuka did. Whether you think that influence was good or bad, whether you like his works themselves in particular, it's hard to deny his importance historically. I would say that if you're going to pick it up, get it off of Amazon just because it seems to be substantially cheaper there probably because yeah. Amazon is such a big company. I think the list price on this is something like 
dollars. I think I got it for like twenty five. Yeah, I think that's about the price on Amazon. So yeah, I mean, I guess really there's not that much else to say. The book alone is awesome, but the addition of the DVD makes it pretty much a must buy. And uh, if you run into Helen McCarthy at a convention or you comment on her blog or whatever, let her know that you think it's awesome. And then tell her how awesome the professional is. Golgo the Golgo 13. <laughs> but if you don't like Legend of the Galactic Heroes, don't tell her because she might stab Funny you. Funny story I just learned today. Uh, <laughs> Carl Masek apparently wanted to bring over Legend of the Galactic Heroes to America, but he didn't because the licensing fee was too high. And that was back in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the Carl Masek oh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Oh, what if the Robotech narrator got up in Legend of Galactic Heroes? <laughs> Imagine I mean, we've the already summary. got the LOGH narrator. I don't know if that would be terrible or fantastic. Imagine the summary that he would have had to have written for, like, episode, like... Every episode? I mean, if, remember, something. like, the, the never-ending last episode narration for Captain mm-hmm. Harlock yeah. and the Queen of a yeah. Thousand Years. Like, you know, in our last episode, Captain Harlock met the Millennium. You know, I've never seen the show. I've only ever seen the cornbone flicks, you know... He's still talking, <laughs> shut the fuck up montage. But Right, right. It would be so much worse. Yeah, it's like a, a show that's exponentially more complicated, you know? Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good book. Yep. Hey, AWO, this is Andrew Lewis from Dorchester, Massachusetts. I was just giving y'all a call because I can't sleep right now. It's like 2.41 and I'm playing online poker. I don't know what the hell to do with my time right now. I don't know how to go to sleep right now. Just listening to your show. I'm on 75B, trying to catch up to your current show. I'm also watching an anime right now called Peacock King. It's kind of ironic that I'm watching an anime dealing with the peacock, and the peacock is screwing Conan O'Brien. But I wanted to say, Daryl, you're the king. Showed me Giant Robo. Clarissa, I don't know, I've never seen a picture of you, but you sound sexy as hell. And Gerald... Yeah, I've lived on the Virgin Islands also. I've lived on St. Croix, so just shouting out. Yeah, another note. Daryl, I think I saw you at Anime Boston, but I didn't know about the podcast back then. Yeah, I think you were doing a panel about podcasts or something. I can't remember, but I know I saw you. Hope that you come back to Anime Boston this year. That's it. That's all I got to say. Bye. And that is it for episode 85 of Anime World Order. As we say all the time, check us out, www.animeworldorder.com. Email us, animeworldorder at gmail.com. Or call our voicemail line, 206-666-4296. Also, the next episode, well, the next episode that will be released will probably not be one of our regular review episodes. Uh, because there's a, you know, supposedly end of the decade, whatever you count as the decade or whatever. So, anyway, there's a lot of those decade and review things coming out, so we thought we'd jump on the bandwagon, and that's probably going to be something along the lines of the next episode that's released. However, the next proper episode, the next one that will actually receive an illustrious number, episode 86, is going to be by, uh, basically, our contest episode which uh, all the credit for that goes to Steve Cho. So, Did he get his prize mailed out yet? I'm still waiting to receive the uh, tubes for it. You would not believe how annoying it is just to send out tubes of things. Holy crap. Uh, I think if we'd thought about the, you know, the calculation 
behind this, maybe would have ju- we would have just said, "Hey, here's a DVD instead" or something. But, yeah, but uh, yeah, well, toothpaste well, we are is very him actual prizes as well, right? Yeah, Not just the fabulous yes. prize. Okay. <laughs> yes, he's getting he he's getting actual prizes as well as the fabulous okay. prize. Good. I think but, other uh, people might get actual prizes as well, depending on how much actual prizes we got to give. But I've got a most everyone is getting the fabulous prize. But uh, the shipping is horrific, and and packaging is yeah. The, the fabulous worse. prize shipping is uh, extensively high, and uh, I thought it would crap. be very inexpensive. I was I was tragically mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we learned our lesson to never send out prizes. No, no, no not fabulous prizes for anything. <laughs> <laughs> we have to but we yes. have to up the level of fabulousness to be uh, more compact, I guess. Normally, I would announce this last, but since I'm actually the person announcing the end of it, well, I'm we already know about, oh, what I'm the contest winner is since we mentioned the contest winner. So that... just to reiterate to everyone, yeah, what is it we're reviewing for the contest winning? Uh, episode in which our listener suggested all three shows for us to review. Yes, but um, so I'm going to be reviewing something that I've been avoiding reviewing for a long time, basically as long as we've been on this show, just because it's one of the most intimidating things for me to review, and that is possibly one of my if if I had a rank of like favorite movies, this would probably be number one, and that is. The Gainax work, The Wings of Oniamis. Wait, movies overall, not just anime movies? I, I'd have to think about that. Definitely mm. my favorite anime movie. So, it's, uh, look forward to that. It's, uh, that, that'll be my last episode. Yes. Yeah, de- de- <laughs> definitely, really. definitely really. AWO hard <laughs> mode we're on. You're because... gonna quit after that? All right. <laughs> yeah, all, all of us have some sort of, uh, fairly difficult task. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the only thing I'd be more afraid of than Wings of Oniami is would be Revolutionary Girl Utena, which yeah, may I... end up happening soon because ADT or W is simul watching through Utena and a lot of people are watching Utena again right yeah. now. I, I've also been thinking about doing Utena, but I'm similarly terrified. Yeah, so I am not uh, I'm not reviewing Revolutionary Girl Utena next episode. I am reviewing uh we just got done talking about Osamu Tezuka, so it's only fitting that I review one of his initial attempts at a long form narrative. It is released by DMP and it is not gay porn, surprisingly enough. No, this is swallowing the earth. Which, with a That's name like gay that, porn? sounds <laughs> like it would be gay porn. But it is, in fact, about, you know, you can sum up the words, in, like the plot. It's a very thick book, but I think you can kind of sum it up uh, in three words. Asian man's kryptonite, alternatively black man's kryptonite. Uh, that's pretty much what this book is about. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> it in detail next show. Should be interesting. I, I hear it's the first uh, Tezuka work to be released in English that's actually bad. It has been called that. Yeah, hmm. so we'll see. Um, yeah, because that other one that I reviewed was just kind of mediocre. Apollo song, yeah. I know, I yeah, know Chavez song. was just infuriated. It's like, do you say that the Apollo song? That's not how Ed Chavez sounds <laughs> uh, at all. What are you doing? But, uh, you know, <laughs> he was like, oh, Apollo song is awesome. But, you know, he he did release it, so maybe he's got a, you know. Mm. A bias there? Yeah, probably. A bias. <laughs> maybe so. And uh, I will also be doing something that... I'm not sure if it'll be terrifying or not, but uh, it'll be a movie by uh, Makoto Shinkai, who 
I don't think we've actually talked about that much. We on have this never podcast. really talked about him much. We've just gotten Which multiple kind of requests but... by Alexander Strange and other people yeah. to be like, "Hey, talk so, about Makoto Shinkai." Right. So you have demanded it. Uh, finally, we will be talking about Makoto Shinkai while I will be reviewing the movie uh, Five Centimeters Per Second. I'm not sure if that's the best thing we could have started Makoto Shinkai yeah, with, but maybe not, I think that but, it's you know I think it's it's a good illustration of his strengths and weaknesses in one work, I think. I think they so. all kind of are that. I mean he sort of <laughs> you know, he sort of outdoes like even Satoshi Khan as far as being like the Christopher Guest of anime and making <laughs> basically the same story each time that I don't The thing really is, is that it's a lot again. easier to take it in in thirty minutes than it is in eighty. Which is what I'm what I'm saying, but uh, yes, that we we should leave that for the review yes. itself. Yeah. But yes, uh, so swallowing the earth five centimeters per second, and holy god, the wings of Oniamis. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but it's I will. It's about holy god. So, it kind of is and isn't, but um, yes. <laughs> so look out for that whenever we get to it. 